The following program is a rebroadcast from the archives of Jim Nader's NPR syndicated series, Magnificent Obsession. Support for Magnificent Obsession, True Stories of Recovery from Alcohol and Drug Addiction, is provided by the LRC Group at RBC Wealth Management. The LRC Group provides comprehensive wealth management services and investment counseling. For more information, 800-879-3246. The LRC Group at RBC Wealth Management, member NYSE SIPC. Further support is provided by The Body Law Firm. The Body Law Firm provides comprehensive legal representation in the practice areas of commercial litigation, criminal defense, family law, and personal injury. For more information, 630-573-8585. Support for Magnificent Obsession is provided by the Levine Rabin Group at RBC Dane Rauscher in Vernon Hills. The Levine Rabin Group provides comprehensive wealth management services and investment counseling. For more information, 800-879-3246. The Levine Rabin Group at RBC Dane Rauscher. Member NYSE SIPC. <laughs> I didn't see the beauty. I wanted to see it. I couldn't enjoy it. Um, I didn't have eyes to see. And all I wanted to do was forget and feel numb. I wanted both to feel numb and to feel anything. Because it was sort of a, a paradox that, you know, liquor did both in a way, you know, it both let me feel some feelings, but then it could numb them out at the same time. And so as the days went by, I didn't know who I was. I was confused and lost, and I was, um, I was as helpless as a kid in a snowstorm. You look like a perfect fit. Freaks, 
underline this, however, I'd have to say, I think now looking back, I always had some concern about it. Um, uh, whether based on childhood or not, there was a concern about it. And, um, and, and there were lots of other fears. And, and eventually, in my 30s, I had some real major disappointments um, in my life. Things were not working out according to script. And it was really quite a blow to me in my marriage. Um, it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I wasn't what I thought I was going to be. My husband what, wasn't what I thought he was going to be. And um, I discovered that um, that I was a chicken, basically. That I really, what for somebody who appeared to the world to be assertive and she can handle everything and, and you know, she's happy-go-lucky, I was none of those things. Um, I was becoming increasingly frightened of what this all meant and increasingly unable to cope and unable to make decisions about what I really wanted to do with my life. I discovered that having a cocktail at home, which I had never done before, um, when my husband came home, helped and relieved the tension. Uh, whatever I discovered having two was better. Eventually I had one before he got home. And so that um, it relieved that intensity. It was the only time I had the courage to feel what I was really feeling, to speak to my husband honestly and raise difficult issues that I wouldn't raise over a cup of coffee. Um, and, um, and then the next day I would be filled with remorse and regret and guilt, thinking I overstated things, that I had no right to say some of those things or ask those questions or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera and um, very harsh judgments. Um, and uh, so this went on f for a while. Uh, I, I would say by the time I was 40, I really knew I was probably heading down a, um, a real rugged road of, of self-destruction. Um, we moved and I became more and more isolated I, out of our neighborhood where I had a lot of friends and there was lots of social support. We were suddenly kind of in a more rural situation and I was alone, which really um, gave me a chance to take a hard look at what was going on. I thought it might be one more shot for our, our marriage, sort of another fantasy of Little House in the Prairie and that we were going to live happily ever after. You know, it's you and me, kid, against the world, and we're going to be out here and raise vegetables or something. And um, it didn't turn out that way. Um, and, uh, and gradually, I had to start facing how I was coping with things, uh, though it was very difficult. And I still went, I went back to it. Um, get some psychological help just figuring if I could solve my problems, the drinking problem would go away by itself. So eventually it got to be um, that I had this very dark side of me that was the big secret. Um, that I still had lots of rules around my drinking. I was always very um, judgmental and um, 
so you know never drink before five o'clock but believe me there were a lot of days when I was looking at that clock thinking well let's see it's 4:45. you know it's getting close and um and all that kind of thing so I was still very high functioning but the depression um the uh, reckless behaviors I would just take chances I didn't usually drive while drinking but I just did things that were um, you know dangerous in one fashion or another so I would do that and then I would sit up late at night and I would write um, fairly terrifying things in my journals and very sad things and um, and in the morning I sometimes was too afraid to read them because Yes, I had everything, and I could look around at my house and my kids and my marriage and whatever, but I was losing my soul. And I could literally almost feel myself slip through my fingers. It's not what you thought when you first began. going it was like a death that was so real but I didn't know how to tell anyone about it um, and by that time I was too afraid to um, I was afraid of the consequences of sobriety oddly enough I I even wrote about a year before I got into recovery I wrote and I've saved this I wrote in a journal um, I know what I need to do I need to stop drinking but I am so afraid because there will be a lot of pain and I will lose things and people and I'm afraid to face that yet I don't have the courage and and I didn't write then um, so a year later when I was getting closer and closer you know I could feel it coming I could feel it coming that train was coming down the road and I kept doing all these fantasy things like I'd say to my husband I think I'm just gonna go away for a few months I had no idea where I thought I was going to go but I knew I needed some radical change and that was my first thought um, like I'll go away and get myself together and um, Eventually, it was a marriage, uh, a marriage crisis. But all that was was a precipitating thing. You know, it almost, it just, t it needed. I needed something to kick me over the, <laughs> kick me over the edge, and that was it. Uh, I was shaken, um, but I, I decided that I'd never get through it 
as long as I was drinking. So I told my children and my husband I wouldn't uh, drink during this time. It was too volatile and stressful. And um, that was great. However, I found it much more difficult than I thought it was going to be. And I found myself taking little cheats here and there. Like, you know, if I was out with friends I considered safe friends, you know, I'd have a, I'd have a drink or... Um, you know, I'd have a Bloody Mary because that isn't a real drink. You know, there's food in this and things like that. And, and so I was starting to cut corners, which started to frighten me. Um, and I called a friend who um, is a physician and also a recovering person and said, you know, I decided I was going to quit. I haven't quit. And he said, well... For once, once and for all, why don't you go get an objective opinion and go get an evaluation? So with terror in my heart, I did. Um, I was still resistant. I still wanted to make qualifications um, about, you know, well, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, and comparing and all that. But when I finally um, surrendered to it, to the fact that I knew I belonged there. I knew the first night in group, I mean, I decided to go. The first night in group, I probably felt like it was coming home. Um, there were people there who understood what I was saying. I understood what they were saying. Um, I was one of them. I mean, I'd found my people. That is no question. And um, it opened doors for me. Um, I, that I would never have thought possible. I now realize it's, and every day and every month I realize more about what was going on was that chemicals were not only hurting my body but they indeed were giving me all kinds of really screwed up messages and that it wasn't my fault I think the, the night that that I heard the disease concept lecture the tears just fell down my face because it described the hole in the soul that I had been feeling for a very long time. I had even used those exact words in talking to a friend and saying, I don't know how to describe this to you. It's not like having a bad day. It's like I can never get filled up. I'm never enough. There's never enough of me. Um, I can't be normal. And, and normalcy was somehow a real goal for me. You know, I, I envied people that, I, that looked normal to me. I mean, you know, and God knows what was going on inside their homes, too. But I, I, they looked normal to me, and I wanted to feel that sense of peace. I wanted the turbulence to stop. But I didn't want to have to give up drinking, you know, until eventually the pain 
the pain of that cycle, the pain of juggling everything you had to juggle, you know, the pain of deciding, okay, I can drink tonight because I don't have anything to do until 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I mean, God forbid I should make an 8 a.m. dentist appointment. You know, and then the next day, if I didn't, if I felt lousy and had a wretched hangover, then I had to be super mom, I had to be super worker, I had to do everything twice as good as I ever did. And, it w and the only relief then would be um, either to go home and watch TV and not think or have another drink because I felt so, so terrible and guilty about um, being this wretched person. I can remember, um, I'm sure lots of people have seen the ad or something like it on, on TV um, where a camera... Um, gently slides over oh nostalgic photographs um, pictures of childhood um, love letters on a desk graduation cap and gown pictures and over it says where have all your hopes and dreams gone and, and the final shot is a, a bottle of liquor and I can remember seeing that ad and my heart beginning to race and race and race and my throat tighten and my eyes start to fill up and that was if I was alone. If the children were in the room or my husband were in the room, that channel was changed very quickly or I would leave the room. And the sorrow, the the dread, the, um, well, as a woman said that, that has since become a very good friend, that the first time she ever saw me in, the, um, in recovery, that all she saw was the face of desperation. And, and that really was where it was. Uh, I couldn't believe um, I was empty, that I had run out. Uh, I felt like brittle bones. No flexibility left, um, no dancing left, no laughing left. All I wanted to do was forget and feel numb. And so, you know, if there was any courage in what I did, it was to say the word help. That's really about the only courageous act I performed in my own behalf in this recovery was to say, okay, um, help, and to be willing to listen to others and to learn and not have to be the big shot and not have to keep control of myself and not have to hold on so tightly. And now I feel that you know, that my role in life is to be um, a prayerful person and a fun seeker. <laughs> and, and that those aren't contradictions in terms. Uh, you know, that, that my, my uh, aim is to be playful, um, and, but to be playful in, in God's presence and in God's world. And as long as I understand that, um, then I'll, I'll still be free and I'll be able to be generous um, 
and I'll be able to keep letting go of stuff that get in the way um, and keep me self-centered uh, and that's that's a forever job I think is to stop being so self-centered and self-protective um, but I, I often think of a story um, well it is a great story about um, hanging on to things uh, this gentleman was from the island of Crete and um, he was dying and as he died he scooped up in his hand a fistful of of soil for his beloved land and he got to the gates of eternity and was not allowed in and he said how can you turn me away I've been a good man and I've done all these things and they said because in order to come into eternal happiness you must come in totally naked and without anything and he said well I am except for I just have to bring a little bit of my land with me because it nurtured me and, and it is my life and it is a memory that I, I want to hang on to. And he was denied and so he went away and he was very angry um, and he tried this two or three more times and he was not let in and finally he was so desperate um, and lonely outside of the gates that he, with great sorrow, he opened his hand and he let the grains of soil fall to the ground and the gates opened and when he looked up there was all of Crete and it's a wonderful lesson about letting go um, he discovered all that he had wanted the minute he was able to let go and that has certainly been my experience that um, loosening my grip um, has led me to a security I've never dreamed would be possible. Ah, people asking questions Lost in confusion When I tell them there's no problem Only solutions Well, they shake their heads and they look at me I've lost my mind I told them there's no hurry I'm just sitting here doing time I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round I really love to watch them roll No longer riding on the
session, feel free to give us a call, 773-262-8246, or via email to Nader, that's N-A-Y-D-E-R, Nader at AOL.com. This program is produced by Jim Nader with production assistance provided by Jerry Sheridan. Special thanks to Lowell Miles and Chicago Public Radio. Support for this program is provided by the Levine Rabin Group at RBC Dane Rauscher in Vernon Hills. The Levine Rabin Group provides comprehensive wealth management services and investment counseling. For more information, 800-879-3246. The Levine Rabin Group at RBC Dane Rauscher, member NYSE, SIPC. This has been a production of Nader Communications. This program was a rebroadcast from the archives of Jim Nader's NPR syndicated series, Magnificent Obsession. Support for Magnificent Obsession, true stories of recovery from alcohol and drug addiction, is provided by the LRC Group at RBC Wealth Management. The LRC Group provides comprehensive wealth management services and investment counseling. For more information, 800-879-3246. The LRC Group at RBC Wealth Management, member NYSE SIPC. Further support is provided by The Body Law Firm. The Body Law Firm provides comprehensive legal representation in the practice areas of commercial litigation, criminal defense, family law, and personal injury. For more information, 630-573-8585.